So uh, you should have a handout. Does everybody have a handout? Okay. Uh, this is this will be different from the one dated uh, 9/11 or 9/4. That was our last time together, and uh, this Sunday uh, is September 24th. We have had it says it's 9/11 on it, uh, not in honor of what happened, but just because that was uh, I came down and got ill, and uh, we didn't change the date to save uh, paper. And yours should say 9-11. Now, we talked about three different areas of the supremacy of Christ uh, and the three major statements that are made in this passage from chapter 115 through 18, verses 18, uh, the deity of Christ and his his relationship to creation and the church— and these three statements about the deity and creation and the church reflect Christ's supremacy. And that's the theme here that is going on. Now, last time we met, which was on September 4th, we, are, we talked about uh, Christ's uh, deity. So I'm going to rush through the first part of it so we have time to really look at the uh, second part, creation, and what I'm talking about is right under supremacy of Christ, deity, creation, the church, and on page one. So I'm going to go through that because it was a long time ago. I'm just barely going to touch on it. Make sure everybody that comes in grabs a, a, uh, a handout too because they'll be lost without a handout. Okay. Uh, so let's look at 15 through 18 in chapter 1. If you'll keep this open, we're going to refer to it a number of times. Today is going to be challenging. This is not an easy subject. Um, I have a finite mind. You have a finite mind. Now, mine may be more finite than yours, but I'm going to do my best to share with you some of the deep truths from this passage. And so some things we're going to share that we don't understand it, but we accept by fact, by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is going to be challenging, okay? All right. Now, I'd like you to follow along as I read out loud uh, verses 15 through 18 of chapter 1 and kind of stay here uh, and kind of keep a thumb if you go to another, another verse and we come back. Okay. Who is the image of the invisible God. That's what we studied last time. Christ is the invisible. He's the visible image of the invisible God. Now, the firstborn of every creature, verse 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And I'm going to read verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him should dwell, should all fullness dwell. Now, 
from verse 15b through verse 17 is what we're going to look at today. But I'm going to go back and just look at the previous statement about the deity of Christ in brief. Okay, So the introduction was uh, page 1 uh, under introduction, letter A, verses 15 through 23, chapter 1, present our Lord Jesus Christ clearly as God, supreme over all, absolutely superior to all things. Now, you see where it says this passage reflects all the following. Take your pen or pencil and scratch that out. That's from last, the last time, and I did, not, I did not omit it. That's my mistake. Item B, this statement of the supremacy of Christ in this passage, all the way 15 through 23, and primarily today we're looking at 15 uh, uh, through 18, and specifically 15b through 17, this is part of Paul's answer to the heresy at Colossae that held a false view of Christ. Every cult I've ever encountered, the main aspect of that false teaching or heresy is a wrong view of Christ. They Somehow they distort who Christ is. Okay. Now, there were three major problems with this heresy. And this, 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 um, this passage is an answer, Paul's answer to the heresy at Colossae that held a false view of Christ. Right away, he goes in and he says, this is the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say what all the heresy, what the different elements of it were. He goes in and he says, here's the, er here's, here's the truth. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. So that they knew the truth. They didn't have to worry about remembering the error. They want, he wanted them to remember the truth. First of all, it perverted the doctrine of salvation by grace. It, um, they taught wrongly the lie that faith in Christ alone was insufficient. It wasn't enough to save. Number two, it falsely portrayed the Christian life by an emphasis on works. And sometimes they uh, different, different aspects of uh, Gnosticism said, well, it was okay. It doesn't matter what you do because your body's an apparition and, and the spirit's the only thing that matters. So you could have license to sin and live immorally. Libertinism uh, because of the secular philosophy that entered in from the Greeks. And then Thirdly, it denied, the, and most importantly, it denied the deity of Christ, our Redeemer and Creator. The false teacher taught that Christ was not God, wrongly. Item 2, section 2, the supremacy of Christ. Again, we're still in review. Uh, observations. Okay, in verse 15 through 18, there are three major statements in our text concerning Christ that demonstrate His supremacy. These show, these statements show Christ's relationship to deity, God. That was, we looked at that last week. Then creation, we're going to look at that today, 15b through 17. And then the church, verse 18. And we're going to look at that next week, Lord willing. Now, these statements aim directly at the false teacher, uh, false teachers, and I call them truth terrorists. I like that because that's what they are, in whose system shadowy angelic spirits, spirits, emanations, 
served as mediators between God and man in heaven and earth, and they replaced Christ and his function as the only mediator between God and man. Paul emphasizes Christ's supremely significant and sovereign position as Savior. He is preeminent. He is over all. Preeminent is a theological word, meaning he is above all. And the ideas presented here are similar to Hebrews 1, uh, 2 through 4 and John 1, 18. Hebrews 1, verse 2 says, God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, he's the brightness of God's glory, and the express image of his person, God's person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. John 1 verse 3 says, All things were made by or through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, through him, and the world knew him not, verse 10 and verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he, that is Christ, hath declared him. Christ showed us the Father, revealed the Father to us. Okay, so these statements aim directly, they target the false teachers and whose system all these emanations existed. Okay, so the first statement, still review, Christ and deity. The, Christ is the image of the invisible God. He's the express image, that Hebrews tells us. Okay, number one, Christ is, has always been, he is, and always will be the image of God, a quote from Curtis Vaughn, Dr. Curtis Vaughn. Christ is the exact likeness, the very image of God, the perfect representation and the revelation of God the Father. John 14, 9 tells us, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that have seen me have seen the Father. And how sayest thou, then, show us the Father? So here he told Philip that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay, Christ, uh, item C, under bottom of page one, under the image, number one, B1. Christ is the image of God in the sense that the nature and being of God are perfectly revealed in Christ. God, through Christ, enables us to know God and makes God viewable or reveals God in his nature. The impact is, item D, the impact is that clearly and without question, Paul here portrays in Scripture Christ. I'm swatting flies some of the motions here, sorry. Uh, I don't know that we have a friend up here. Uh, the impact is that clearly without question in Scripture, Paul here portrays Christ as God. He's the only means or way to approach and know the Father. 
and now top of page two, the invisible God. God's invisible to our physical sight and cannot be discovered by our finite minds, our intellect, our imagination and reason. But Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, has made God the Father visible. Now, God cannot be known, item B under two, the invisible God, God cannot be known except in and through Christ. He that has seen me have seen the Father that I just read in John 14, 9. Now, you have a passage there, Matthew 12. That's Matthew 11. Matthew 11, 27b, if you want to correct that. Okay. Um, so now we're in the new part. We're the second statement. Remember, the first statement is about Christ and deity. The second statement is about Christ and creation. Paul uses this to show that Christ is preeminent. He is the supremacy of Christ. He is above all because he is the creator. Okay. <clears throat> now, you know, as I approached this and I had a few weeks to ponder on it, being ill, uh, the importance of having a true understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ as preeminent, as supreme, as the Lord over all creation, as the Lord Jesus Christ, as the creator, as scripture says, he himself created. It's so important, it's, it's really beyond my capability to communicate to you how important it is. Because if you have a wrong view of Christ, then when you get down here to salvation and you get down here to living the Christian faith, you, you get all askew. It's kind of like if you start off off course, by the time you get 100 miles down the road, you're five miles off course. So you, you have to have a proper view of who Christ is for Christianity. Um, and it also, a proper view of Christ affects our behavior and conduct. If, if Christ is supreme and he's the preeminent sovereign in our universe, who's the creator of all things. And if all things are actually even held together because of Christ uh, and sustained by him, then who is more worthy of our placing our trust in our daily lives, uh, placing our trust in for our daily lives and our salvation for our spiritual and physical needs? Who's more capable for us to rely upon and who knows us? If we, he created us, he knows us better than we know ourselves. Now, we always think we, as pastors sometimes says when he's preaching, you know, I got this. And I have that too. I got this, Lord. I got this. No, I don't have this, you know, because the Lord is the one who works in and through us. And if we think that we know it all or we know even a lot of it, we're wrong because it's he who has made us and he's the one that knows best for us. If he loved us enough to die on the cross for us, the second person of the Trinity to come down, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but became, Lord emptied himself and came and died on the cross for our sins and rose again the third day. He really loves us and he wants the best for us. And, you know, why would we doubt? Why would we fail to trust and ignore this Christ who is God in the flesh. You know, we always laugh 
I always shake my head when I hear about, you know, reading in the Old Testament about the Israelites who ran out to conquer this enemy, but they forgot to ask God and forgot to pray. Why would we do that when we know? And that's the whole thing. When we have a proper understanding of who the Lord Jesus Christ is and that he made everything. He is over everything. He knows everything. He is everything. And he is the perfection of all the attributes like love and uh, omniscience and omnipotence and all of these things. Why would we not trust him? And that's the that's the application ahead of time, because as I talk about that, I want you to think about that, that he is what we need to be relying upon. You know, some people get in situations and they agonize over them and become sick. I remember I wanted to buy a piece of property in Tennessee. I got so upset because I couldn't buy this piece of property because the bank loan said, you're in the military, you don't live here and we won't give it to you. This was down in the south in the sticks, and they were pretty nice people, and they did that for a reason. That fit their big, that fit the best, that fit, that kept people from out of town buying property and all this stuff. But I made myself sick over that. But you know, truly, what's important is I should have realized that that was not what God wanted me to do. He had something else for me. And sure enough, later on, like five or six years later, I bought a piece of property that was right across from my parents' house, and it was a much better thing. You know, and I thought, boy, I sure learned a lesson for that. You know, the lessons that cause us pain help we remember most. And, and uh, um, I, um, I, I, my worry and my fear and my knowing best rather than resting in God's provision, who is, knows everything and does everything for our good, I rested in my own knowledge, which was wrong. And I paid the price physically for that. And that has helped me a great deal, recognize, come across something and we'll think, wow, well, you know, we wanted to go on vacation this year to Florida and they had no no reservations as of like June or something. And we're going, how can you not have reservations? This is six months early. And they said, we don't have enough consecutive days. We got two days here, three days here, two days here. You want to move around? No. <laughs> so so I, we, we were upset about that. And I got to thinking, Lord must not want us to go. Sometimes he allows things to happen um, because he wants to shut that door. Now, if, if you persist and go, there may be a reason you find out later that he didn't want you to go and you don't find it out till later. So sometimes he wants you to persist. Yeah, but we can rest. The bottom line is that we can rest in God's provision. He, he is a great God. The Lord Jesus Christ wants the best for us and leads us in, in his way. And often we get our own perspective and we can't proceed and we get upset or we struggle or we agonize. Um, we wonder, you know, I got COVID in, I think, uh, September uh, 10th or 12th. And uh, I thought, no, Lord, you know, I wear a mask all the time. I wear gloves in the store. How could I get COVID? Well, you know, you can get COVID anywhere. And so, you know, I had to realize, wait a minute. 
the Lord wanted me to have it for some reason. I don't know what. It certainly humbled me. <laughs> Maybe that's the reason, huh? But, but, you know, I had to trust in the Lord's provision. You know, this is what the Lord has for me. This is a world full of sin and a world full of problems. And so I was on the sidelines for a couple of Sundays because of having COVID. Now, I don't know why the Lord allowed that, but I trust in his purpose. I know that he wants the best for me. He will take care of me. Uh, he will help me no matter what. Um, and I think it's important for us to realize that, uh, that we, can tr- we have a God that we can trust far more than we realize and far more than we do. The Lord Jesus Christ is God. Now, <clears throat> the second statement here is Christ in creation. Um, he is the firstborn. It's, it's that, that is also found in Colossians 1.18, Romans 8.29, and Hebrews uh, 1.6. And I was going to read the Hebrews 1.6 passage, I believe. Maybe not. Oh, and again, Hebrews 1, 6, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. Now, the word uh, firstborn there is, uh, put the Greek word in your, in your uh, under 1A, right under C, the top of page 2. It's spelled P-R-O-T-O-T-O-K-O-S. And it has... Two meanings. It means priority in time is the first, and then supremacy and rank or position. Item B there. Christ is before all creation in time, and also he's over all in place and position. Um, reading from B, right under one under C, second statement, Christ and creation. Item C, primary emphasis is, is that Christ is supreme and over all and head of all creation. And item D, the firstborn, uh, is a reference to the old, it may be an analogy, and I think it is, to the Old Testament's firstborn rights and privileges. Remember the birthright, Esau and Jacob? Remember that? That's that same issue. Uh, Curtis Vaughn has said, he quotes... Uh, He says, as Lightfoot, that's a scholar uh, in the New Testament, and others see in the word, uh, this word firstborn, an allusion to the ancient custom, the Hebrew custom in the Old Testament, whereby the firstborn in a family was accorded rights and privileges not shared by the other offspring, any other offspring. He was his father's, that person that had the birthright, had his father's representative, he was his father's representative and heir, and to him, he was given the management of the household. Following this line of interpretation, we may understand the passage to teach that Christ is his father's representative and heir and has the management of the divine household, all of creation, committed to him. He is thus Lord Christ is Lord over all of God's creation, all of the universe, everything. Now, and I think that's the idea. Christ is before all creation in time, priority in time, and he's over all in place and position. 
So he is preeminent. He's supreme. And what it doesn't mean, item E, and you see the word not in big letters, the biggest font there. I would make it bigger, but I didn't want to lose space on the page. This does not, does not mean that Christ is part of creation. He's not a created being. Christ is not a created being. Christ is not a created being. Christ is not a created being. That's one of the errors. He is not the first of all created beings because he was not created first. He always existed. Now, there's where faith comes in. We don't know anything that didn't have an origin of some kind. Well, Christ always was, is, and will be. Um, Christ, F, Christ is distinguished from the creation by the context as it shows that he's the sovereign Lord who created all things. He can't be the creator and the created. So he's the creator who created. He was before the created and he created all of everything that existed. And the grammar also exists, indicates that Christ is separate and sovereign over creation. Now, I have a quote that I want to share with you because I think it's, it's good, but it's, a, it's challenging. So wake up if you've been asleep and listen to this. This is from Ellicott, who's kind of a Greek scholar. It's not in Greek, but it, there's some very lofty truths here. So he says, as to the name, the firstborn itself. The word firstborn is used of the Messiah as an almost technical name. As, and it's shown, I read that passage, Hebrews 1.6. It says, when he bringeth the first begotten into the world. That's a reference to the Messiah. <coughs> In tracing the Messiah, Messianic line of the promise, we notice that while the Messiah is always true man, the seed of Abraham, the son of David, yet on him are accumulated attributes too high for man or a created being, such as in Isaiah 9, 6, where he is declared to be an Emmanuel, God with us. And his kingdom is a visible manifestation of God. So the idea contained in the word firstborn is not only sovereignty above all the kings of the earth, quote, uh, as found in Psalm 89, 28, <coughs> but also likeness to God and priority to all created being. So in verse 15, we have the image of um, the firstborn and the image of God, these two things. So we have the declaration of his eternal unity of God, all that was completely embodied in the de declaration of the word who is God and John 1, up to the higher, up to which all of the higher Jew Jewish speculations had led where he talked about the Messiah coming. And we see the distinctness of his person, the begotten of the Father, the true Messiah of Jewish hopes, 
and the subordination of the co-eternal Son to the Father. <coughs> Excuse me. I know that's kind of technical, but I wanted to share that with you because I thought that was really good at showing the, the words here and the prophecy actually reflect uh, that Christ is God. Okay, number two under C, Christ and creation. For by him all things were created, verse 16 and 17. Christ is the firstborn over all creation because he made it. He made creation. He made it all. He's over it. He rules it. Creation owes its existence, cohesion, and unity to Christ. Now, there's three prepositional phrases in verse 16 that describe Christ's creation. Number one, by or in him. Number two, uh, through him. Vestiges of my illness, sorry. So by him in verse 16a, through him, verse 16b, and for or unto him in 16c. So verse 16 reads, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So three prepositional phrases there, okay? Now, if you notice those three items at the bottom of page two that are indented to the left, by him, through him, and for or unto him, that describes each one of those, one, two, and three. So by him, verse 16, reflects the author. He is the creator. of The, cre he, the act of creation was by Christ and uh, was by Christ, by and in his person and power. Creation originated in Christ. He caused and completed it. He was a divine authority or sovereign source with the Father's counsel. Number two, that's easily seen. Number two is a little bit more of shade, uh, a little more difficult to see. He was the agent of creation through him. And this, the word there is, for the Greek scholars is dia. It's an agent that's a cause or an instrument of means to a, to a goal. And this preposition is also used, often used to reflect salvation, redemption, mediation between God and man. <coughs> Ephesians uh, 2.18 and 1 Thessalonians 5.9. I'm going to, in the interest of time, I won't read those. It's used here to reflect that all things, all of creation is from God through the agency or mediation of Christ. Uh, John 1, 3, and 10, 1, 3 says, All things were made by or through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And verse 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made by or through him, and the world knew him not. So he is the agent. He's the author of, sal of uh, salvation. He's the author of creation. He's the agent of creation. And he is the aim or goal or ultimate purpose. So that's for unto him, the last one. Creation is for or under Christ in the sense that he is the end, reason, or purpose, and aim for which all things exist. Now, that, is, that really expands my little brain. You mean all of creation is for Christ? Yes. Um, and I have a quote here from a gentleman named H.C.G. Moole, H-M-O-U-L-E. 
They are meant to serve his will, to contribute to his glory. Their whole being willingly or unwillingly moves to him, whether as blissful servants, they shall be as it were his throne, or as his stricken enemies, his footstool. Uh, the end or aim of all creation is Christ. He is God. Creation is his. Now that has a lot of effects, a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of ramifications if it's all his. Um, let's look at top of page two, three rather, top of page three, all things. It's used two times in verse 16. Uh, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for or unto him. So all things. That's used to describe the whole created order, the universe. It means the totality of things, including everything in creation, the entirety of every created thing. And Erdman says, Charles Erdman says, he too is the goal, he is too, he is, I'm sorry, he too, is the goal, capital G, of all creation, its final cause, capital C. He He contains in himself the reason why creation exists and why it is what it is. Toward him, all movements converge. In his kingdom, ultimately, all creatures will realize the eternal purpose of God, Nor is Paul satisfied with the inclusive phrase, all things. He insists that the supremacy of Christ is not bounded by the material universe, but includes all spiritual beings as well. Thus, Paul represents or presents the creation in two distinct exhaustive divisions as consisting of things in the heaven, upon the earth, things visible and invisible. Invisible things seem to be specified by the added phrase, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Probably Paul mentions these, uh, this celestial hierarchy to meet the false teaching of, uh, which is prevalent in Colossae. And he, he goes on to talk about how he uh, speaks against those. And everything is under God. Everything is under the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God. Item D, second uh, from the top, on page three, that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. It's used to show the magnitude of all things that were created by Christ, who is God. And a quote from MacArthur to uh, a short quote. Um, These thrones are dominions, rulers are authority. These are various categories of angels and spiritual beings which Christ created and rules over. There's no comment regarding whether they're holy or fallen since he is the Lord of both groups. The false teachers had incorporated these into the heresy of worship of angels, including the lie that Jesus was one of them, not over them, and he was only a spirit created by God and inferior to uh, He was merely a spirit created by God and inferior to them. 
Paul rejected that and made it clear that angels, whatever their rank, whether holy or fallen, are mere creatures and their creator is none other than the preeminent one, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the purpose of his catalog of angelic ranks is to show the immeasurable superiority of Christ over the false teachers or any being that false teachers could suggest. <clears throat> and that is the note primarily uh, that Paul insists that all things are subject to their creator. Let's look at created by. Uh, it's used first, it's, it's used twice in verse 16. Uh, and he says that, for by him all things were created. And then down at the end, he says, all things were created by him and for him. Now, <clears throat> the first time it's used to indicate Christ's definite and distinct act of creation. It was by him at a particular, specific time. Christ was the instrument of creation. creation. He was the creator. Now, the second use is a little more subtle because it's a verb in a perfect tense. Now, I know that everybody hates grammar, but bear with me. Just listen with me and listen to the result of the grammar if you don't like the grammar. Okay. It literally says, has been created by him and for or unto him. Has been created. Okay. So it's in a perfect tense. And that indicates that the action has taken place for which there's a result that has a continuing effect. Now, and an abiding result. Now, if there's creation, it's still here. I'm part of that creation. If the creation wasn't here anymore, I wouldn't be here. That's an abiding effect. I like that abiding effect because I'm here, okay? So uh, if you think of it like that, that helps you, that's fine. The perfect temp tense emphasizes the duration and persistence of the act of creation and that it continues and, and is ongoing. The universe stands created by him and for him. Christ is the creator over all. Now, <clears throat> there's a man named Getsche. Uh, it's spelled G-O-E-T-T-S-C-H-E. He's a German, apparently. Uh, but he's uh, in a church in La Harpe, Illinois. I got a hold of a sermon of his, and he said, do you see the practical nature of these truths? Let me give you some practical implications. Since Christ created all things, we owe our allegiance to worship him. He's the creator. He is God. He said, since Christ created all things, he understands us and the needs better the needs that we have better than we do. Number three, since Christ created all things, nothing can hurt us if we rest in him. No power in the world is superior to his. Who could separate us from the love of Christ? That type of idea. Since Christ is the end or ultimate goal of all things, only the person who is aligned with Christ and following him is headed in the right direction. And I really like that. Our belief and understanding of the supremacy of Christ has profound effects on what else we, our conduct. 
Because if we don't really believe that Christ is the creator, we're going we're gonna to struggle in, in relying and resting in him. I know people that cannot rest in Christ. They're always in a turmoil. They, they, I, by, even if they don't state that they believe that Christ created them and knows them and loves them and cares for them, by actions, they're showing that they don't. You know, I've heard it said, conduct is some of the best theology, <laughs> you know, as, as far as practical, what people actually believe. People practice what they believe, and whatever they do is generally what they really believe. Okay, <clears throat> so he is before all things, F, under page on page three, and he is before all things. Now, in our language, one the last grammar thing, okay, he is a separate word. If I say, uh, if I wanted to say that um, uh, Cindy went to the store, I would say, she went to the store. But in other languages, the she would be wrapped up in the verb, and you'd have a, 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 a tense of the verb that would indicate uh, a, a pronoun, of even, even masculine or feminine, and it would be wrapped up in the verb and on the ending. And Spanish is like that. But if you add the pronoun in front of it in, that, in Greek, it emphasizes the, uh, it, it, has an, it emphasizes the fact that uh, Cindy went to the store. And, and here, uh, it, it, he is before all things. The, he is a, 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 a separate word in addition to being including in the verb and the phrase it meant he himself and he and no other. It distinguishes and emphasizes Christ as separate from the created things and above them. So again, the language reflects that Christ is supreme. He is before all things, means he's before all in time, also in rank. He existed before creation and he's over it. It's similar to the firstborn of all creation in 15b that we looked at first. All things refers to the universe, the whole of created order, everything, everything. Now that, when you start thinking about the galaxies and all of that, that and light years and all of that, that's just mind boggling. But <clears throat> Bible teaches this. Now, um, MacArthur has said he is before all things. When the universe had its beginning, Christ already existed. Thus, by definition, he must be eternal. And uh, the next passage says, by him all things consist. This is one of my favorite verses in, in the Bible. By him all things consist. That's verse 17b. This little small phrase means that the universe and every created thing, visible or invisible, literally consist or hold together, literally. Their cohesiveness is because Christ is sustaining them or it. Not only is Christ the creator, but he's the sustainer and upholder of all creation. And verse and Hebrews one three tells us that he <clears throat> he upholds all things by the word of his power, and Acts seventeen twenty eight tells us in him all things live and move and have their being. Acts seventeen twenty eight, uh, and 
Um, MacArthur says, Christ sustains the universe, maintaining power and balance necessary to life's existence and continuity. Um, and then one more quote from Erd, Erdman that I really like. This view of nature and the whole realm of being as created and controlled by Christ is arresting and majestic. To see Christ as existent behind all laws, you know, there's all these laws in the unit of gravity and all these things. To regard stars and atoms and the worlds of men and of angels as in him and through him and unto him is to gain a holy new and overwhelming vision of his glory and to find a new beauty and splendor in the universe he has made and ever sustains. Not only did he create it, but he keeps it going. <clears throat> um, Paul adds that the idea through this language that Christ also continues to sustain the universe, its operation, its cohesion. Apart from him, it would disintegrate. And Lightfoot, we quoted before, J.B. Lightfoot said, he is the principle, Christ is the principle of cohesion who makes the universe a cosmos instead of a chaos. I like that. Uh, so, the, as far as application here, This is from uh, Getsche again, the, the German guy. Jesus is not only before all things. We are also told, in him all things hold together. Jesus did not create the world and then just walk away. His leadership and lordship over creation is essential for every moment of every day. Were he to take his hands off us for a minute, we would fall apart. He is the one who keeps things going. He's, he makes the sun to shine, the rain to fall, and the earth to rotate, and the seasons to come and go. He's the one who continues to grant life to our bodies. At any given moment, he could withdraw his hand and we would be finished. The implications are simple. We ought to be humble. We are not independent in the fullest sense of the word. Without him, we could do nothing. Even the non-believer owns their life to the mercy of the Savior. Number two, number one, we ought to be humble. Number two, we ought to be grateful. Every day we live is a gift from our Lord. Uh, <clears throat> finally, the question is, what Christ do you serve? Do you serve this Christ that I described who is the, is, is the image of God, who is the creator, and also the head of the church is the third statement we'll look at next week. So what Christ do you serve? Is he a watered-down version of the real thing? Are you serving the Christ of Scripture? Do you recognize Christ as God? Do you recognize him as creator and sustainer and the end of all there is? Do you recognize him as the one who is sufficient for your every need? Because if he's creator, he's certainly sufficient to help you on our problems and difficulties and needs this is the true Jesus. This is the Jesus that saves. This is the Jesus that can transform your heart and life. Every other Christ is a fraud. Who are, which one are you following? The true Jesus asks you to follow him, to rest 
in his arms and trust what he can do for you. Are you willing to do that today? It must have been close to his invitation here. Do you see how important these truths are? If you understand and how big and great our Savior is, you will see how small the things that bother us really are. Now, I'm famous for worrying about small things. <laughs> Not so famous about trusting in small things. Sometimes I get the big stuff and lose the little stuff. Going on to quote, Why are we so upset by difficulties since we belong to him? Why do we worry when he's our provider? Why do we wait so long to seek him when he has the answers we need? Why are we so afraid of death when he promised to lead us home? Why are we so obsessed with the things of the world when he alone can satisfy our deepest longings? Why are we so reluctant to pray and worship when he loves us so? You see, we may affirm all of the things we've said today, but the challenge for you and me is not only to learn these truths, but to believe them and to build our lives on them. And I would add to live these truths. Following the real Jesus will not only keep you from compromising your faith or falling into error, which is what Paul was teaching here, but it'll also lead you into the life that you've been longing for, recognizing that God will provide and take care of you. So are you following the real Christ? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. I pray that you would help us to understand how big and how wonderful and how majestic and how powerful the Lord Jesus Christ is. And, 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 and in turn, how big and how great and how wonderful you are and how you provided so much for us. We don't even begin to understand that. But Lord, help us to be able to rest and your provision by faith, and trust in you, and follow you, Father. We know if, if Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Lord, may we be obedient and serve you with all our heart. I pray you bless the service to follow. Thank you for this time where we could fellowship around the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.